This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be talking with guest criticalist, Dr. Garrett Pachtinger, who is a specialist at the Veterinary Specialty and Emergency Center in Levittown, Pennsylvania. We'll be right back after these messages. DGP is an all-natural formula proven to help aging pets with joint and mobility problems. It goes to work quickly, providing vital nutrients to the joints while reversing the effects of age. Some people see results in as little as seven days. Don't let your dog struggle another day. Call 800-521-0543 or visit dgpforpets.com and enter code ERVET, E-R-V-E-T, for 25% off your first order and free shipping. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm really excited to have my fellow colleague, Dr. Garrett Packinger, on today's show. And today, we're going to be talking about the importance of blood work in the animal ER. Dr. Packinger, do you mind giving us a little bit of an introduction about who you are and what you do? Of course. Thanks for having me. So as you said, my name is Garrett Packinger. I am, like Justine, a board-certified critical care specialist. I practice just outside of the Philadelphia area at the Veterinary Specialty and Emergency Center. And I'm one of several critical care specialists at that hospital. Aside from being clinical and being on that clinic floor with the ER cases that come in, I'm also the intern director. So very important to educate our young veterinarians about emergency work and being a good, good ER veterinarian. I know that being in the ER can be really stressful to a pet owner. They don't understand what's going on. It's really stressful in terms of emotions in the waiting room. And oftentimes they don't have their own veterinarian to be able to consult with. And so that's one of the reasons why I know both Garrett and I are really passionate about educating pet owners on what diagnostic tests, including blood work, x-rays, ultrasound, what kind of tests are necessary in order for us to be able to treat your dog or cat in the ER. Now, what we wanted to focus today's ER vet episode on is what tests do I actually need? So if you don't mind taking it away, let's start with some basic tests and we'll talk about the less common tests a little bit later. Absolutely. And I think the first thing to talk about is many of us being on the other side of the table, understand what it's like when your dog or cat gets whisked away from the reception area back into the treatment area. And really what I tell people is the first test that we consider in these cases is actually the examination. We all know that like pediatric medicine and people, babies can't talk to us to tell us what's wrong. They just cry in a similar way. Our pets really can't tell us what's wrong. They may give us clues or cues of what's bothering them. If they're limping on their back left leg, sure, it makes sense to examine that back left leg. But in many of these cases, it's 
unfortunately, much more vague than that. So the first test that I think is really a test that we don't give ourselves credit enough for is doing a good examination. That really helps pinpoint what may be going on. For example, as Justine was talking about, we consider tests like blood work or x-rays. How do I know as a veterinarian which one to recommend to the pet parent, which one to choose? Part of that, sure, is the history. Why did you come in with your pet? But the other part of it is what am I seeing on my examination that helps me recommend that. For example, very clearly, if a pet comes in that's having breathing changes, they're breathing faster than normal or more labored than normal, then x-rays may be something that I recommend for the pet parent. But I think one of the best tests that we can often consider is blood work. And the reason that I like blood work as a part of my testing protocol is that it's one of the best non-invasive ways to get a good global overall assessment of your dog and cat. It doesn't mimic what I can see on x-ray. It doesn't mimic what I can see on ultrasound, but it's a really great way to look at the inside of the organ function or your cell count function of the whole body. So as compared to tests that your general practitioner veterinarian may recommend, for example, a complete blood count, a CBC and a chemistry panel in the ER, we often choose a test that is faster and also evaluates more life-threatening and critical components of the blood values first. Examples of that would be a minimum database or an extended database where we look at, for example, your red blood cell count, your protein level, your blood sugar level, the kidney function, and even important electrolytes, which help make sure the body has what it needs for the vital function, muscle function, heart function, kidney function. But in general, as Justine was saying, blood work can be very helpful because it's a good global overall patient assessment to know what is going on on the inside of the body. If I break down in a little bit more what a CBC or chemistry panel refers to, because I know I mentioned that, when I talk to families about a CBC or a complete blood count, what that does is it identifies and quantifies your different cell lines, your white blood cells, your red blood cells and part of your clotting system called the platelets in the bloodstream. It analyzes the shape and the condition and the appearance of those cells to make sure they appear healthy and hopefully they appear functional. And so this helps say, well, how's the immune system working? How's the bone marrow working? Are we making the normal amount and appearance of those cells, the white blood cells? And the red blood cells are very important in the body because they carry oxygen from the lungs around the body. So if you don't have the number of red blood cells you should have or the function of red blood cells that you should have, your body may not be getting the oxygen that it needs. The other test that we were referring to is the chemistry panel, otherwise known as a serum biochemistry panel. And what that's looking at is the organ function, your electrolytes, your blood sugar, those chemicals in the bloodstream can correlate to the specific organs, your kidney function, your liver function, and it helps determine more than just the cell counts. It shows if there's any abnormality, any deficiency, any inflammation, even infection, any disease of those organs, which are, of course, vital to the body. Lab work can detect many things. I tell families all the time, this is a really common question. Can lab work, can blood work detect cancer? And the answer is maybe. Not most of the time, and it's unfortunate because many of these cases, you can have, for example, severe cancer all over the body, but most of the time, the blood work is going to be pretty darn normal unless the cancer originates 
in the bone marrow itself. And we can see, although rare, cases like leukemia. More often than not, when I run blood work, I'm really making sure the cell counts and organ values are what they should be. And if not, I know what organs to target in additional testing, whether that is other blood work, x-rays, or even ultrasound to get a better look on the inside of the body without actually being on the inside of the body. So when we do this blood work and we get the results, first of all, do we get the results immediately within an hour, within 12 hours or the next day? Like how soon are these results going to be available for the emergency clinician? Great question. So as an emergency clinician, that minimum database or extended database that we're talking about, we get results within three to five minutes on average, which is a great reason why we run that test often first, because I don't want to wait any longer than that to know if there are life-threatening concerns. At many hospitals, in-house laboratory testing is available. So if I do want that full line of testing, the complete blood count, that CBC or chemistry panel, that may take one to two hours, but I don't want to wait that long if I have a life-threatening emergency room case. So I want that in just a few minutes. There are some tests and some hospitals that do not have the capability for in-house testing. So they may send their lab work out to a laboratory that runs blood work in a different building. And those results will get sent back to you in 24 hours on average. But that really emphasizes the importance of being able to check those life-threatening or life-altering variables in just minutes rather than hours or even days. What are some other blood tests you would recommend doing? That's a great question, and I think that depends on why the patient presents to the hospital. There are fortunately now many tests that we can consider running, even blood tests, that are not part of that normal complete blood count or chemistry line of testing. Many of us refer to them as SNAP tests. So they're tests which can look for antibodies or presence of infectious agents on the emergency room basis or even at the general practitioner, tests like feline leukemia, feline AIDS, FELV, and FIV, heartworm, Lyme disease, or other tick tests like Ehrlichia or Anaplasma, especially where I live and Justine lives, we see lots of tick-borne disease. So it's a great cursory screening test where in about 10 or 15 minutes, you can quickly determine if there's infection that could be going on in the body. Another really important blood test in the emergency room are clotting tests. And we briefly talked about on our CBC platelets being part of the clotting system. But another important part of the clotting system are the clotting factors that the liver makes. So you can actually test for those clotting factors within minutes to know if a patient is at risk for bleeding because their liver is not making or there's a toxin in the body which is antagonizing those liver clotting factors. So clotting tests can be very important in the ER or even as a screening test prior to any type of surgery. So those are good blood tests that we can consider. And each and every day, each and every year, we're seeing companies that come out with great point of care, meaning on the spot tests that we can look at for our patients that come in that are sick, that are ill, and we don't want to wait one, two or three days or sometimes even longer to find out what the results are. Great. Thank you. I think the most important thing to recognize is 
talk to your veterinarian or your emergency veterinarian. We don't necessarily need to do every single test. We obviously want to work with your budget. We want to work with what we suspect your dog has or your cat has. So we're going to fine tune some of these tests, whether or not it's that complete blood count, that chemistry panel to look at the white and red blood cells, to look at the kidney and liver function, to see if we need to do some of these quote snap tests to find out. And that's really going to depend on the clinical signs that your dog or your cat may be showing. We'll continue with this really important topic about what type of blood test we should do in the ER right after these messages from our sponsors. Now, as a veterinarian, I will admit I let my dog lick me on the cheek. But if your dog has bad breath, you may not want to. Did you know that four out of five pets will develop gum disease? And bad breath is often the first sign of disease. Now, there's an easy, natural way to help freshen your pet's breath and protect your dog and cat from gum disease without brushing. If your furry kid has stinky breath, you'll want to check out Pets Are Kids 2 best-selling premium pet dental spray. Just a few sprays along your pet's gum line does a trick. Try it yourself by picking up a bottle at PetsAreKids2.com and enter code PET15 for 15% off your order. Plus, they have a lifetime money-back guarantee and donate a portion of sales to pets with cancer. Go to PetsAreKids2.com and try a bottle today. We're back. We are interviewing Dr. Garrett Pachtinger, fellow criticalist in emergency critical care. And this is a topic that's really important for pet owners to be aware of. We've been talking about what blood tests you need for your dog or cat in the ER. And obviously you're going to work with your veterinarian on this or your emergency veterinarian, but I want you to be the best pet owner advocate for your dog and cat. So really important that you understand what this blood work is testing for and what options you have. So Dr. Pachtinger, do you mind just talking and explaining what some of these tests are? What am I doing and what am I looking for with a complete blood count or what we call a CBC? What am I looking for with a chemistry test specifically? Absolutely. And as you said, I think it's really important that we have good communication. So if there's something you don't understand, please ask your veterinarian. The last thing I want a client of mine to do is to walk away confused about what tests we ran or what the results meant. So let's start first talking about the complete blood count or the CBC. And I'm not going to review each and every variable, but I want you to have a really good overall assessment of what this test shows and why we run it. So what the CBC, the complete blood count, shows a veterinarian is a combination of things. You can look at, for example, the hydration status, the red blood cell count. If it's very high, we often think of dehydration. If it's very low, the medical term for that is anemia, low red blood cells. Is there any evidence of infection or inflammation? Is there a problem with the blood clotting system? So let's take a couple of these variables. One of them we look at is what's called the hematocrit. HCT, the hematocrit, and that test measures the percentage of the red blood cells. So that's where we look at, again, if it's too low, a low red blood cell count, we think anemia. If it's too high, while there are rare cases where the body produces too many red blood cells, often if it's a little higher than normal, there's a reason the patient is dehydrated. Many times our human counterparts use the term hemoglobin or mean corpuscular hemoglobin concentration. That is just another different representation of the oxygen carrying capacity of those red blood cells. Most of the time in veterinary medicine, we use the hematocrit to equal the same. The white blood cells are another part of the CBC, which are really important to talk about. That measures the body's immune system, 
immune system production of those cells. And we can see increases or decreases in our white blood cells, which can indicate certain diseases or certain infections. Now, I will tell you this. It is very common that I'll have a test result that shows a high white blood cell count. And the client asks me, oh, so where's the infection in the body? To be clear, a high white blood cell count does not tell me infection. It really means one of three things, in my opinion, either infection, inflammation, or even cancer can cause high white blood cells. All three of them can do the same. To me, as a clinician, as the veterinarian, what that tells me is that there's something else going on in the body and a good reason to investigate to see why there's an increase in white blood cells. But to be very clear, it does not tell me there has to be simply an infection in the body. It may be something else. And then finally, the platelet count. And that is a test that measures the ability, or one of the tests that measures the ability to form clots in the blood. So if you have a paper cut, for example, those platelets come to where that paper cut is and help your body clot and heal. There are definitely other variables of the CBC that become much more intricate and specialized, but often we look at those three first, the red blood cells, the white blood cells, and the platelets, which then moves us on to our chemistry values. So our blood chemistry or serum biochemistry tests evaluate the patient's organ function, their electrolyte status, hormone levels, and even other important variables. So let's look at a couple common systems that we evaluate on our chemistry. The first is our protein levels. There are two common protein levels that are found on your chemistry panel. One is called the albumin level. The other is called the globulin level. The albumin level is a protein that helps evaluate hydration. If there's evidence of bleeding, hemorrhage, either intestinal, liver, or kidney disease. So albumin is a very important protein that we look at. Globulin, eh, a little bit less important. We look at globulin for changes in the body due to inflammation or other chronic infection or diseases. But I, as an ER doctor, love albumin a little bit more than globulin. We can move into our liver value tests. And there are really four liver value tests, or maybe three or four, depending on what panel that you look at, to determine if there's evidence of liver disease. Most of them start with the letter A. Obviously, I just mentioned albumin, which is not technically a liver-specific test, but we can have one called the ALT, the alanine aminotransferase, and that looks for active liver damage. Remember, though, it doesn't tell you the cause of the liver disease, the inflammation, the infection, if there's cancer. It just tells you there's an indication that that organ is not a perfectly functioning organ, and so that ALT value. There's another value called the AST value, which is a little bit similar. There's the ALKP value, the alkaline phosphatase. Now, that can indicate liver damage, but there are other diseases in the body that can cause that elevation. And in fact, in a young growing patient, for example, a young growing dog, that can be elevated and be quite normal. So the point there is not to take one specific value and say, oh, my God, I'm so worried now. My dog has an elevation of this one value. It must indicate serious disease. There are lots of things that can cause these elevations. And again, it's a tool for your veterinarian to understand, could there be something else going on in the body that we need further investigation of? So we've talked about proteins and we've talked about liver, but what else is important on our chemistry? 
That is your kidney values. So there are two common values that help us on the chemistry for your kidneys. One is called your creatinine level. That test reveals kidney function and can also help differentiate, for example, from other types of diseases. Your other one that we worry about or look at is what's called your BUN or your blood urea nitrogen. Another good indication of is there any kidney change that could be a concern for that patient. We look at the creatinine a little bit more than the blood urea nitrogen because the creatinine is affected less by outside sources in the body. So now we've talked about proteins, liver values, and kidney values. The final one I'm going to talk about are your electrolytes because often on your chemistry panel, we have electrolytes that are found there. The common ones being sodium, potassium, phosphorus, and chloride. The ones that I'm going to focus on most specifically, your potassium. We can see potassium abnormalities with diseases or problems like vomiting, diarrhea, kidney problems, or even endocrine or hormonal problems where other glands are not producing the right types of hormones. Low potassium levels can cause dramatic weakness, and high potassium levels, not slightly high, but usually fairly high potassium levels, can even result in cardiac arrest. So a great reason that we check electrolytes. The other ones that I'll mention, again, sodium. We can see sodium changes as a result of, again, vomiting, diarrhea, kidney disease, or other hormonal changes. Phosphorus, the last one that I'll specifically talk about, we can see elevations or high phosphorus levels due to kidney disease or other endocrine or hormonal disease like an overactive thyroid. So that is just a succinct or short version of all the different things that your veterinarian looks at when they run a CBC, your complete blood count, and your serum biochemistry or chemistry panel, a great look at the inside of the body, your hormonal function, your organ function, your electrolyte function, your bone marrow function to determine is there disease and what other tests should we consider to evaluate further that disease if present. Really important. I would say with this complete blood count and chemistry panel, we are getting a very good global picture of what's going on inside your dog or cat's body. In other words, what's happening in the bone marrow, what's happening with the organs. One of the questions that owners often have is, does this test for cancer? And honestly, it's not a specific blood test for cancer. So unfortunately, we can still see really severe cancer in the spleen and the blood work could potentially be completely normal, but it helps rule out important things that Dr. Pachtinger was talking about, kidney failure, salt imbalances, anemia, leukemia. So a lot of unusual diseases or indications of organ injury. All right. That's super helpful. The next thing I wanted to ask you, Dr. Pachtinger, is what about some of these other tests? What if you have a sick cat with a fever or a vomiting miniature schnauzer or even a cat that's having difficulty breathing? What are some of these, quote, snap or bedside rapid tests that we may be able to use in order to find out what's going on at an organ level? Great question. And the first thing that I'm going to say is if you're not familiar with what we're talking about with the SNAP test, the best analogy that I can give you is it's kind of like a pregnancy test for a person. It doesn't tell you how pregnant somebody may be, how far along they may be. It just tells you, are you pregnant or are you not pregnant? So for example, in these tests, a blue dot will come up. Is there evidence of disease or is there no evidence of disease 
there's not a dot that's present. So these are what's called screening tests. And many of these cases will take it to one, two, or three steps further, depending on a positive or negative result. But that's the type of test that Justine was referring to, a test that gives you, in a matter of minutes, a blue dot that appears. Is there disease or illness that could be present, or do we need to go down another line of questioning or another line of testing? So as Justine was mentioning, one of them is called a SNAP-FIV and FELV combination test. And FIV stands for the feline immunodeficiency virus. That is a special virus that happens in just cats that can make them quite sick, affecting their immune system. The other test that we worry about or other disease that we worry about is that FELV, which is the feline leukemia virus. And what this test does is it gives us about a 10 minute window to determine if there's evidence of this or other viruses in the body. So the FIV, the feline immunodeficiency virus, SNAP test, looks for antibodies. So is there antibody from exposure to this virus in that cat's bloodstream? In the same test, which is great because we have one test that looks for both, you look for what's called antigen or presence of that virus itself within the bloodstream. So the FELV or feline leukemia virus test looks for evidence of that virus itself within the bloodstream. So within about a 10-minute window, we can quickly determine if that patient's immune system is compromised, and that's a reason they are, number one, getting sick more often, number two, developing cancer, number three, developing other diseases, and number four, even more importantly to some people, is that something that can be spread to other pets, other cats, other dogs? Is there a disease that we worry about which can be zoonotic even to people. Fortunately, these two viruses, the FIV and FELV tests and viruses, are ones that can just go to cats. So no need to worry about dogs or people, but often we do need to worry, can this spread to other cats? And is this a reason that cat can be getting sick faster and more often? Definitely worth knowing the FELV, FIV status on your cat. I tell people it's like not knowing if your partner has HIV. That's the equivalent of these diseases. They can be deadly. And unfortunately, over 85% of cats that are diagnosed with feline leukemia, unfortunately, pass away within three years of diagnosis. So it can be quite devastating. So really important that we know the results of this. And this is something you should work with your own general practitioner or family veterinarian on. But I always tell people, if you don't know what that status is, it's definitely worth finding out in the ER. Now, what about a dog that potentially has pancreatitis? I know there's a couple of pancreatitis tests that are out there. They're not 100% accurate, but just in the event that I can't afford a $500 abdominal ultrasound, what are my options for, quote, helping diagnose pancreatitis, end quote? Excellent question. And I would even go as far as saying that sometimes it's not that the owners can't afford, but it's also availability. So having somebody, a radiologist, for example, to do a ultrasound 24-7, 365 just isn't available or even practical for many practices. So like that FELV, FIV test that we just talked about, there's a test called the CPL test. And what the CPL stands for is essentially your canine, meaning dog, pancreatic or pancreas function or a lipase, so an enzyme that's produced from a sick pancreas. And so within about a five to 10 minute period of time with a blood test, you can determine 
or help determine if there's excess amounts of this hormone, this pancreatic pancreas lipase that is in the bloodstream. Is it a perfect test? No. None of these tests are 100% perfect. What they really give us is a rapid reference laboratory quality technology to try to get a better patient assessment, especially on the emergency basis. So if I have a patient that comes in that has comparable or classic signs that are associated with inflammation of the pancreas, otherwise known as pancreatitis, then yes, I can run this test. And if it's positive, I know I'm going down the right line of thought. Is it possible that it's positive for other reasons? Unfortunately, yes. But it gives me more information and gives me a targeted direction for both treatment and to consider other testing if and when available. What if it's negative, though? If it's negative, then I'm saying, pun intended, I'm barking up the wrong tree and I need to consider other tests or I need to think outside of the box what else could be causing this dog signs. Maybe the vomiting or diarrhea is caused by a blockage or maybe I really need to emphasize to those owners doing that full CBC and chemistry profile we talked about because could there be liver disease or kidney disease as other examples of disease. So these rapid bedside tests, here we're talking about the pancreas test, it's a simple tool that we can quickly use, cost-effectively use, to try to get more information to know what other tests to consider or to bolster our treatment recommendations for that patient. And I do think it's really important to emphasize again, these tests are not without limitations. So I have definitely seen dogs and cats that are diagnosed with, quote, pancreatitis, end quote, when they actually have cancer in the intestines or just even gastroenteritis. So there are some false positives from it. But typically when we run the test, if it's negative, it does help rule out whether or not your pet has pancreatitis. The last test I wanted to talk about is that test BNP or what we call pro-BNP. Do you mind just giving us a little information on this rapid assessment test and how it could potentially help us, especially with cats that are having difficulty breathing? Absolutely. And as I love giving analogies to help clients understand why we're doing what we're doing, the BNP test is a test that is a shortcut or a small name for what's called the B-type natriuretic peptide, otherwise known as the BNP. So what does this actually look for? This looks very quickly to try to help us determine if a patient that comes in with breathing difficulty is having breathing difficulty because they have heart failure or because they have a lung problem like pneumonia. For example, if you went to the hospital, and here's my analogy, and you were having breathing difficulty, you were having chest pains, for example, you would hope your physician could very quickly determine, am I having an episode of heart failure or cardiac arrest or cardiac disease, heart disease, or do I have pneumonia or another lung disease? Because obviously, Treatment is going to be very different if you're in heart failure or you're in having pneumonia, as another example. So this B-type natriuretic peptide, or BNP, pro-BNP, which Justine was talking about, it's actually a hormone that is produced by the heart itself. And there are very low concentrations of that BNP hormone that circulate at all times. But we do know when there is excessive stretching of the heart muscle or heart disease, the heart increases production 
end secretion of that hormone. So like the FELV, FIV test that we just talked about, the BNP SNAP test is a test that can look at elevated levels of that BNP hormone in the body. And we know when we associate high levels of that BNP hormone is secreted into the bloodstream when there's underlying heart disease. So if you have a patient that comes in with breathing difficulty, this five or 10 minute test can help you quickly determine, is that patient one that is at risk and concerning for heart disease? And I should think about diuretics and other heart specific medications, or is that test normal? And I should say to myself, well, maybe that breathing difficulty is because of fluid around the lungs or pneumonia, fluid in the lungs or infection. And there's actually a commercial test for this, a cat-specific feline NT Pro BNP test that's been available now for years. And there have been lots of clinical studies that look at this to help determine, again, that breathing difficulty patient, are they in heart failure and we should use heart medications or are they in lung disease failure or do they have pneumonia? Do they have fluid around their lungs? And I need to consider other testing or other treatment because these patients can be quite critical and seconds and minutes can matter. Such important information. Again, work with your emergency veterinarian and ask them the important questions of what tests are absolutely needed. I will also educate pet owners out there. You don't have to pay for all these tests. There are certain tests that are more important than others. So work with your veterinarian, especially if you have financial limitations. I will say my go-to and probably Garrett's go-to for any sick dog and cat is always a complete blood count and chemistry panel. The other tests we may or may not do depending on the situation or what signs your dog is showing. I will say it's really important for us to find out what's going on, but we can also work with your veterinarian the following day, depending on how stable your dog is. Dr. Pachtinger, any last tips to leave us with? I'm just going to echo with what you said. Many veterinarians, I hope most, if not all veterinarians, want to work with you. Our primary goal is to treat the patient, and we will work with whatever financial limitations we have. We will help you prioritize tests. I routinely tell clients, in an ideal world, here are the series of tests that I would recommend. I'm going to help you prioritize which ones I believe are the most important. Could I pick the wrong test? Sure. Unfortunately, that is possible, but I will do my best to help guide you and use your finances wisely because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We want your pet to feel better. We want your pet to feel healthy and we want to guide you and advise you the right way. Great information, Dr. Packninger. Thank you so much for joining us again today on ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, and you can find Garrett on his Facebook page under Dr. Garrett Pachtinger too. And email me any of your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, and we want to thank our guests, Dr. Garrett Pachtinger and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.